So before I start, I want to tell you a little story. And it's about tents. Um, yeah, I know. You know where I'm going with this one. Um, so we're going to share about camp next week because Maze isn't here. And I felt like he was a big part of camp. So we're going to wait to share. But I will share this one story about the tents. He's not here next week either, is he? We'll sort it out. It'll be fine. Um, so tents. We stayed in a, well, it wasn't a lovely tent. It was kind of a bit of a shaky tent. So the boys' brigade, bless them, loan us tents for at camp every single year. And they're brilliant. The only problem is with these tents is the door. They're a little bit of a potch because you've got the laces. You've got to do up all the laces and they take ages. So I was in the female leader's tent and I innocently, we innocently said the words, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to do up these ties? Wouldn't it be nice to have like a zip tent? And we're like, oh yeah, zip tent. It'd be a bit of luxury, isn't it, in, in, in camping? Well, the second night of camp, it poured down with rain. It was stormy. It was horrible. And we were settling down to go to sleep and everything was fine. Except I noticed on my side where my head was, there was a dip in the tent and we're like oh that's a bit odd so we're like right it'll be fine we'll just move our beds and everything to the middle so we moved our beds to the middle and with that the whole side of the tent just collapsed and we're like oh it's collapsing so it was stormy it was raining and we had to move all of our stuff camp beds a lot over to the other side of the field to stay in this other tent um now in the morning we spoke to alan davis and he said, oh, yeah, he said, I was securing the tents yesterday. He said, I looked at yours and it looked fine. So I didn't bother securing it. I was like, oh. I was like hmm, thanks, Alice. I'll tell that one at your funeral. Um, so <laughs> now the tent looked fine on the outside, but it wasn't secure. So when the storm came, it blew it down. Now, the irony... <laughs> of the new tent was that it had a zip. So God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? So there we go. So we're going to read our passage today. Um, and it's about two builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder who secured their houses on different foundations. You've got one who built his house on the sandy land and one who built it on a rock. So we're going to have a look at that together this morning. It's a very short passage. It's found in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. If you haven't got your Bibles, don't worry, it'll come up on the screen for you to read along. Or if you just want to listen, that's fine as well. So it goes like this. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. May God bless the reading of his word. So this parable comes at the end of one of Jesus' most famous sermons. He's given the message, the Sermon on the Mount. Even people who perhaps don't know Jesus or don't follow Jesus are likely to have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't, give it a read because it's a really good one. 
So Jesus is preaching to crowds of people where he says some really life-changing things. He tells the people to love your enemies. He teaches them how to pray. He tells them not to worry. He warns about judging others. He says some pretty amazing things. But Jesus, after saying all this stuff, says at the end, it's no good just listening to what I've said. You need to put it into practice. It's one thing to know what I've told you. It's another thing entirely to do what I've said. And Jesus compares hearing his words and doing what he says to a wise builder who secures his house on the rock. He lays the foundation on the rock. Then Jesus goes and talks about a foolish builder who builds his house on the sand. It's not a solid foundation. Now the houses seem to look exactly the same on the outside. And from the outside, everything looks fine. Just like our tent last week, everything looked fine until the storms came, until the wind starts blowing. Now the builder who's built his house on the rock can feel the storm. He can hear the storm. It's loud. It's scary. But the house is secure. He's safe because he's built his house on the rock. Now the foolish builder, bless him, who's built his house on the sand has a terrible time of it. The house has taken him time to build that looks good on the outside is blown completely to the ground. And Jesus' parable reminds us that we can actually build our lives on so many things other than Christ. We can put our trust in a variety of different things. So what do you build your life on? So often we can build our lives on things that don't last, the things are a little bit shaky. Now, you might build your life on relationships. If I have this relationship, then I'm going to be happy. But you can't build your life on that because people are fickle. People change. Now, a wise man once told me, people will always let you down. That wise man was Martin Gerrit. <laughs> and it's true. It's been true in my life. You can also build your life on your career on your job, oh, I'm doing really well in my job, I'm getting paid well, things are going my way, everything's fine. But you can't build your life on that because that changes too. You could get ill, you could lose your job, anything could happen. If that's your foundation, then when the storms of life hit, your house is going to fall flat. You could also live your life, you could build your life on living for yourself, so living for pleasure. Well, we only get one life, so let's live it to the full. I live for the weekend, I live for my holidays, I live for when I get paid. But the problem is, those things are temporary. And after we've had one fix of pleasure that's not lasted, we're looking for the next hit and the next hit and the next hit. And when the storm hits, you realise you've not got a solid foundation for your life and your life crumbles and collapses around you. But I think there's something deeper going on in this passage because... To set the context, Jesus has been speaking about true followers of Christ versus phony followers of Christ. He's spoken about false prophets and teachers, people who come to you in sheep's clothing, essentially people who look the part and sound the part, but actually their hearts aren't after Christ. People who perhaps superficially look to be following Jesus, but actually aren't. It comes after the passage where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. 
And the thing about Christianity, the thing about Jesus, is that we are called to be followers. We're not called to be fans. And that's the question I want you to think about today. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you like that wise man who hears the word of God and does something about it? Or are you the builder who built his house on the sandy land where you hear the word of God, but you don't let it do anything in your life? Because you can admire Jesus' teachings. You can think Jesus is a good person. You can even believe he's the son of God. You can come to church every Sunday. You can say all the right things. You can look the part, however that looks, and still not be a true follower of Jesus. We can wear a lot of those wristbands. Do you remember those WWJD? What would Jesus do? Wristbands? Probably not what you're doing. I'll be honest, I'm always afraid to wear one of those wristbands just in case I have a bad day and then someone's impression of Christ is, is my bad mood. I do have a Jesus sticker on my car. And to be honest, that's, that was a lot of pressure. Um, but my road rage has decreased um, drastically. <sighs> you can build a life that on the outside looks Christian, looks secure. But when the storm comes, your house falls flat because your foundation isn't really on Christ. Rather, it's on the appearance of knowing Christ. You can come to church looking like you have everything together. You can come with all the right Christianese. When someone's preaching, you can agree. So you sound super spiritual. You can lead groups. You can sit on all the committees. You can even lead churches. But actually, for some, that's the reality is they do that to cover up for the fact that they haven't got faith. They actually don't know Jesus. You say you know him but you don't have a relationship with God. You appear to other people like you know him, but actually you don't have a relationship with God. And the thing is, that doesn't wash with God because God sees right through you. He knows all your motives. He knows all the empty words you speak. And superficially, just like the two houses look similar on the outside, the life of a true follower of Jesus and a fan of Jesus might initially appear the same. Outward appearance or doesn't determine anything. It says the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the problem is, with living this way, if you're just coming to, to church for the sake of coming to church, if you don't know Jesus and you say you know Jesus, then actually you're doing more harm than good because it stops authenticity in churches. It makes it a social club where everyone boasts about how well they're doing. Because church isn't a place to come to show people how well you're doing. It's a place for people who are broken. It's a place for people to come to find healing. It's a place for people to be encouraged. It's a place to find freedom. It's a place for second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. It's a place where we encounter Jesus together and try to live this life that Christ has called us to. Encouraging one another along the way and building one another up instead of fighting against each other. And I tell you, the damage of living a life where you appear to be a Christian, but you're not. And the story goes like this. There's a story of a young lad who on the outside looked to be a very good Christian kid. He did well in school, and then he went off to university. And while he was in university, he led a Bible study for more than 300 people. On the outside, 
things looked great. He was teaching the Bible. He was leading other people to Christ. But the problem was that he lived a double life. So on the odd weekend, he'd go to the other side of the city, go to a nightclub, meet a woman, take her home, sleep with her, and then go back to lead his Bible study. And he'd do this occasionally. When it suited him, he had the facade of knowing Christ. He had the facade that he was following him, but actually he wasn't. On one particular occasion, he did the same thing. He went over to the other side of town. He met a woman in a nightclub, took her back home, slept with her. And then the next morning, he rolled over in bed to say good morning to her. And this time he looked at her and she was crying. And he asked her what was wrong. And she said, I thought you were different. It was in that instant he realized that she was one of the girls from his Bible study who three weeks before had never heard about Jesus, but had heard about Christ from this person who had used her in this way. She recognized him as someone who was supposed to love Jesus, someone who, was, who shouldn't really have treated her that way. His house, the house that he built that looked good on the outside, but wasn't really built on Christ, toppled in that instant. See, we can all talk the talk, to have this facade that your life is grounded in Christ and that your life can look lovely on the outside. But Jesus isn't interested in how well we can teach the Bible. He's not interested in how well we can evangelize, but rather how we love him and how we love others. These things are hollow unless we have the love of God in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. You see, we can know everything that's in our Bibles, everything. But do you put it into practice? Are you a fan of Christ or are you a follower of Christ? Because Satan knows the Bible pretty well as well. I don't want to belong to a church that's just there to keep up appearances. It doesn't excite me. Because church needs to be a place where people can be open and honest about what they're struggling with. That they can feel safe to do so without feeling that in their vulnerability they're going to be judged. Because we're supposed to be family. This service is called Family Celebration. We're supposed to have each other's backs. We're supposed to love others and lead them to Christ, even if it's messy, because people don't live easy lives. And we need to stop being surprised when they tell us they've not lived an easy life, when things aren't going well. There's no such thing as a perfect life. And people have got to stop striving for perfection in how things look to everyone else and instead strive to know Jesus. And if you are struggling with something, to share it with other people so you can push each other on. And I know one of my struggles in church is that I'm a people pleaser. I'll put it up there, I'm a big people pleaser because I like to be liked. And I don't like it if someone doesn't like me or doesn't like something I've done or if I've disappointed someone in some way and they tell me it. Honest to goodness, it cuts me to the core. And I think in church, I've stayed quiet about things that I've struggled with in my own life because I'm afraid of what people will think and how I'll be be perceived for that. But church shouldn't be that way. 
And that's why I'm so grateful for these guys sitting over there um, in our house group where we can share things we are going through, help each other and pray for each other, speaking the truth in love without judging one another and having that solid family. For those who have built their house on the rock, who not only believe in Jesus, but do something about it, who are followers, not fans, Jesus says you are secure. You are safe in him. Your faith will be tested in the storms of life because none of us escape storms. We all have storms, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not. We all face, we face all kinds of storms, problems in our families, mental health, struggles against sin, loss of a loved one, financial storms. And if you've been through a storm, you know exactly how it feels. Even when Christ is your rock, And that's the thing about storms. They're scary, they batter us, they frighten us, they shake us. But know that if your foundation is on Christ, you can withstand every and any storm that comes your way, no matter how loud or how painful or how aggressive that storm may be. If you're anchored to Christ, if you've genuinely accepted him as your Lord and your saviour, then you can rest and wait out the storm in him and trust in that you are safe and he's never going to let you go. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. So when you're scared, you can run to your dad who is in heaven and you can rest in him no matter how scary the storm because your heavenly father is always there. The storm might be loud, the storm might terrify you, but your God has got you, he's got your back. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 to 9 says, because Jesus says we are going to have problems in this life. He says we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 16 to 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's only one person who you can build your life on. There's only one person who will never lay you down. And that person is Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. Jesus promises them. In this life you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world There are things that will happen to us in our life that are frightening and unexpected and painful. There are storms that will take place that we feel will never end, but they will end. They will come to an end. And at the end of this life, every single person will stand face to face with Jesus. On that day, you were able to say, I built my life on you. Let's pray.